You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Woo! Here we go again. Happy hump day, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Hopefully everybody's having a great week. I know I am having a a decent week. Still sitting in a cubicle. That's okay. Um, I get paid. (laughs) Uh, I don't really know where this introduction is going, but we have a hunter profile today. We're going to be talking with Mike Shinsky, and uh, Mike is going to share with us uh, some cool stories. Uh, for, you know, and talk a little bit about how old he was when he started hunting. He's going to talk about just a whole bunch of different things in the life and times of Mike Shinsky. So, uh, really cool podcast today. Another awesome hunter profile podcast. Other than that, guys, I don't have too much to tell you since the last thing. Um, you know, my daughter got stitches. Oh, now. I thought my garden was going to end up a big pile of crap this year. However, I just got probably a half a five-gallon bucket worth of green beans out of it. I noticed that there are two potato plants that are still alive, and I'm going to get some potatoes out of there as well. So I'm pretty happy. Oh, and maybe like a half a dozen carrots. So I'm pretty excited that that happened. Other than, other than that, I am in a... Oh, I shot my bow tonight, and I did really well. And I'm. it's always good to end on a positive note. And uh, three bullseyes, I was pretty happy with that. Uh, I ended on with three bullseyes. That's as much as my uh, quiver holds. And uh, it's a good feeling when you walk away from a, a shooting session and... Uh, you know, you, you feel confident in your shot. So I'm happy with that. Uh, I'm happy that I got green beans out of my garden. And yeah, that's about it for the intro. Let's see. I didn't, I didn't prepare for this at all. So let's see who is the commercial today. I'm looking at Ozonics. It's Exodus Trail Cameras. Exodus Trail Cameras are the most badass trail camera on the market. That is a fact. Um, Exodus trail cameras, if they were to morph into a human being, that human being would be more powerful than if they took genetics from Bruce Lee and genetics from Chuck Norris, merged them into one person, uh, with like super speed and super power, you know, super power. 
Exodus trail camera man would definitely defeat that person. So uh, that's something to think about when you are deciding to make a purchase. Just know that if an Exodus, especially the the new Lift 2, if the Exodus trail camera was morphed into a human, it would kick the shit out of a combined superhuman that it was Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. So if that right there convinced you to go buy a Exodus trail camera, please go visit exodusoutdoorgear.com and enter the discount code when you buy your lift to nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will receive $20 off of your purchase. And all jokes aside, it's a kick-ass camera. Go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Read up on all everything, the the specs of the of the new Lift Two camera, and take advantage of this discount. Other than that, guys, hopefully the rest of your week goes well, and the next hour goes as well as well. So, <laughs> let's get in today's Hunter Profile podcast with Mike Shinsky. All right, everybody, on the phone with me today, Mike Shinsky. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing well, sir. Doing well. How about you? You know, I can't complain, but I will tell you a little story. I had two podcasts scheduled today, and uh, first off, okay. I want to say I want to apologize for the first guy that uh, um, I had to skip, but we were at a family gathering today, and my daughter bit it on some play equipment. And she had a really big gouge in the bottom of her chin. And so we had to go to the ER. And uh, I f- thought for sure was, she was going to have to get stitches. And, uh, you know, I was going to have to basically hold her down while this happened. But the doctor came in and basically said, well, let's just glue it shut and see what happens. <laughs> so no stitches. Please? Yeah, no stitches. Uh, got away with uh, glue. And uh, that's why I had to bail on the first one. So I apologize to that guy, but uh, I made it in time for yours and we got a clean bill of health uh, for my daughter. So there's that, but have you been doing, I definitely feel, I feel special after driving 12 hours just to talk to you, man. (laughs) I feel special and I've never experienced the, uh, the glue on the body to seal up a wound. I've had plenty of stitches, but not the glue. So I can't imagine how that feels. Okay. Random, random question. What's the most stitches you've ever had at one time? 35. 35. 35. That that beats me by, I think mine was was 27. um, And yours is probably a longer incision. My incision is, it's a tiny little incision. People could hardly guess that there was 35 stitches, but it was right above my right, uh, left eye, basketball injury. And uh, yeah, everybody... uh, thought there was a lot more, uh, excuse me, they thought there was a lot less stitches, but uh, the doctor who did it, she said, I'm going to make these really small and you will not see much of a scar when we're done. And God bless it. She's correct. It's uh, not too noticeable. That was a a baseball injury. You said that would be a, that would be a basketball injury, a basketball injury. What did you catch an elbow off the dome? Nope. Nope. That's uh, the number one uh, selection on uh, Family Feud when uh, I'm asking that question of how it happened. But uh, no, I was running down the court thinking I was a great basketball player and I was going to block a guy on a uh, breakaway layup and we went up and we, there was an inside of a rec center, a college I went to, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. 
And they had nets and holding the nets down were weighted weights. And there was one weight in the entire gym that wasn't covered with plastic. And we hit the nets. I sat up instantly to see if he made the shot. And I felt something go funk and instantly felt, oh, my, I got a lot of sweat running down my face. Yeah. Until I touched my face and it wasn't sweat. Then, of course, a college buddy comes over right away, helps me up. And he's like, dude, I can see your skull. <laughs> not really what you not really what you tell a guy in shock. <laughs> Well, the cool thing about right. this whole story that I've taken away is that you have a big enough or you had a big enough vertical at one point to hit your head on the bottom of the net. Uh, no, that's these were nets that surrounded the court so the balls didn't go into the next court over. Oh, okay. I thought you so were the, I thought yeah, you were like, so, yeah, that and shit. explanation. <laughs> um, yeah, that was many years before that I could dump uh, a tennis ball maybe on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> okay so there we go that that cleared it up so you had to go get stitches i had to get stitches wow definitely and uh yeah yeah uh, my wife uh slammed the door in my face um because i hadn't really had much experience with the healthcare field at that point and uh i thought i had to have my insurance card to go to the emergency room so my buddy dropped me off there while i'm using a towel to hold this all together and uh i she's like what are you doing here and well, you got a bloody towel. I pull it off, and she slams the door in my face. So, <laughs> she's like, you don't need the dang insurance card. Just go. <laughs> that's funny. So apparently that's all I needed to do. I didn't need my insurance cards. There you go. All <laughs> right. So today, we're just this is a Hunter Profile podcast. We're just going to be talking about you as a hunter and your profile. Pretty self-explanatory. But... Before we get into that, why don't you tell us where you live and what you do for a living? Sure. Yeah, I live in a little town in northern Illinois. I'm about a, I'm about a mile from the border of Wisconsin, just south of, south of Lake Geneva. Uh, also about an hour and a half from Chicago. And uh, our big claim to fame in this town is a water tower that's painted like a basketball. Seems to be a lot of basketball themes going here, but uh, just a... <clears throat> town and we were able to afford a home here actually we were able to afford to build a home here in this town cheaper than the surrounding communities that were closer to my job for a used home okay so we took advantage of that opportunity and then about six months to a year after we bought our house the housing market crashed so um we don't have too many neighbors in this subdivision because they never finished building the subdivision. Oh, really? But, uh, I, yeah, 12 homes were built out of 200, but it's a great quiet town. And when I moved here, uh, my wife and I moved here from, I was getting the cops called on me on about a weekly basis, shooting my old PSE or Nova boat. <laughs> people would, and people and I had neighbors cops. completely surrounding me. Oh, yeah, my neighbor would. It was the same guy every time, and he told me I would, he would. And he was really cool, but he was like, I see you out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the cops on you. You shouldn't be shooting your bow in the backyard. So I uh, got here, and I'm like, ah, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be the same thing. And I knew this town from where, when I grew up. I grew up in the same county as Hebron. I grew up in a little town called Marengo. And um, it wasn't. it was known for police pull you over for everything. So I'm like, well, they're going to be the same for the land. So we're moving in. I get done that night. We're eating pizza or whatever after moving in, and I hear funk, funk, 
man, what is that noise? I look out, my neighbor, two next, actually my next door neighbor and the neighbor two houses away, they're out shooting both in their backyards. I'm like, oh, hallelujah, I found the promised land. Right. And uh, it was pretty, yeah, it was great. It was great. And uh, we have nothing behind us. Uh, just, I shouldn't say that. We have uh, a pretty large cornfield that every now and then is a soybean field. So we can, uh, yeah, I can shoot out pretty much about as far as I can, which is kind of nice. But, and um, I am an occupational therapist in a hospital setting. I've kind of bounced around with that job too. But uh, occupational therapy is similar to physical therapy, except for instead of working really the lower body, we're working the upper body and also working to try to achieve uh, independence out of the patient. So, gotcha. okay. yeah, it's a great job. Great job. Nice, nice. So it's kind of funny. when it, um, I had a lot of friends go to the University of Iowa uh, for college. Okay. And if you were somewhere around that threshold of an hour from – Chicago, like, cause a lot of people from the Chicago, the greater Chicago land area oh, yeah. w- would go to the university of Iowa for college. And, sure. and they would always say if they were somewhere around an hour from downtown Chicago, everybody said, where are you from? I'm from Chicago. No matter if you were an hour away, hour and a half away, if you were five minutes away, that everybody said, Hey, we're from Chicago. You're exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right because if, if i know if we were traveling in the past and we people would ask oh you're from illinois oh where are you from if you said moringo they're like isn't that in iowa or isn't that you know there's right. like five six moringos in the country right i don't think any of them are bigger than like a thousand people but i'm probably lying at that <laughs> but yeah we often said yeah we live in chicago um no i don't I don't want to claim any anything related to Chicago. Nothing. Except for maybe the White Sox. Oh, there you go. I'll go with that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you live in you live in northern Illinois. You said you're very close to the Wisconsin border. Is is that where you've lived your your whole life then? Uh yeah, except for nine years uh in college and then uh getting married and also and then those nine years I lived between uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Racine, Wisconsin. Okay. All right. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I grew up in Marengo, uh, Illinois. Um, my dad still lives in the exact same house I was uh, raised in. Um, so, yeah. Nice. And then, so that area is where you learned to hunt and kind of got your feet wet as far as becoming, you know, the hunter that you are today. Exactly. Exactly. Um, even though it was a town of, uh, you know, growing up probably 3,000, 4,000 people, uh, we lived in on Dead End Street. Um, there were fields down there, so uh, as kids, were always playing down there. Uh, my dad was a big bird hunter, upland game hunter, quail, partridge, pheasant. Um, unfortunately, by the time I got to an age of where he could be taking me out and stuff, you can't find a quail or a partridge up here um, right. without paying to go on property to shoot them. Um, so I went out with him numerous times, pheasant hunting, which by then it was also becoming a challenge to find a wild pheasant, but the man was amazing. He was amazing. I, I was out one time, there was three guys, the other two guys unloaded two shots with their semi-autos. Um, I, my dad was kind of off to the side further. The bird was angling out at a distance. He takes one shot with his 16 gauge, not even a 12 gauge, 16 gauge pump. 
drops the burden. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, worshiping my father, that's awesome. And yeah, you know, he's like, he's humble. He's so humble. He's like, eh. he's probably pissed that he had to spend 35 cents on that round or on that <laughs> shotgun shell. <you> know? <laughs> but uh, my my dad wasn't a big deer hunter. In fact, um, up until I got him back in the sport, he had only killed one deer, and it was a button buck in southwestern Wisconsin on some friend's farm. Gotcha. And I had been out with him and another guy numerous times, but they never went out opening day of Wisconsin gun season. Um, Wisconsin gun season runs from the Saturday before Thanksgiving till the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We would always go on either the day of Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving. Him and this other guy, they would go up, you know, leave at 2.30 in the morning, drive up, sit on some hillside, not see any deer for the day, go talk to the landowners at lunch, and pretty much drive home. And that's how it was, like, the probably three years when it went up there. Got excited one year with the other gentleman. Um, we heard a shot down the valley, and we're like, oh, God, it's got to be Cal. And this is well before the days of us carrying walkie-talkies are and definitely cell phones i mean this is back in the early probably the early to mid 80s mid 80s okay so we walk over there and we're all excited oh my gosh somebody got a deer how are we going to get it in his uh pontiac grand prix you know <laughs> type situation and get over there and he's like no, no, no. okay did you shoot oh yeah 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 see, see there was a crater right in front of him in the ground he's like what the hell did you do I'm like well I wasn't sure which way safety was. So I was like, I just aimed the gun out in front of me and I pushed the trigger, pulled the trigger. And uh, yeah, apparently it was on fire. <laughs> like, oh, put a nice big crater in the ground with this 30 at six. And we went back to our log in the valley and, you know, continued not to see anything for the day. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, there, there were some interesting people we hunted with. Man, but, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, we, uh, and, and I got into it a little bit more with a friend um, in Marengo, and he, he did a little bow hunting, but it was never really successful. We were always in the woods. If we weren't fishing, we were chasing something, trying to figure out something. And, uh, yeah, um, got into, got my hunter safety, and then uh, I wanted to try deer hunting. Dad's like, well, hey, I got this slug gun. Like, I've never used it. It was actually his dad's. <clears throat> and he's like, let's go. We had a place we could go. We had uh, probably 100 acres along a river bottom. Walking distance, actually, we did. We always walked from the house. Walked down our dead-end street, and then it was all fields. You hit three, four fields, and you're at the river bottom. And back then, it was it was cold. I mean, it was fine. You, you could talk to – we'd be walking, maybe fly on the field, and the farmer would stop, and, what you see, you know? Wouldn't even know who the hell we are. But it was all, you know, it was good. You could go anywhere. And uh, we get out, there. and I had a borrowed 12 gauge smoothbore from uh, actually the guy that put the crater in the ground. His brother carried that. In the first year, I got fortunate, and I heard shooting to the I guess that would be the east of me coming up the river. And <clears throat> excuse me. And then all of a sudden, I see a, a big doe running, and she slows down, and then all of a sudden, she takes off again, and I'm like, okay, I can, I can make this shot, and I try to shoot. And as I shoot, she just falls, and I don't see anything. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think she fell in the river. I ran over there. There she was. She was floating in the river. And amazingly, it was like a perfect uh, broadside, long shot, like 50 yards, and she's in the river. Um, yeah, the weekend before Thanksgiving. 
So the water's really nice and warm, as you can tell. <laughs> Walked in, stomach deep, got her out, even as a, I think it was 14 then. <clears throat> Pulled her up. Wow, 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 I got a trophy. And all of a sudden, I hear noises in the grass around me. And I'm like, uh-oh, what is that? Might be another deer. All of a sudden, it exposed itself. It's like a fawn. And that shot that I heard, somebody shot it in the hindquarter. And it was dragging its hindquarter. It's just looking at me like with these big googly eyes and just dragging and hardly moving. I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what to do, but I got to I got to kill it. And so I had to put it out of its misery. So here I am with my first year cheering. Next thing you know, this 14 year old sitting there bawling his head head off because he just, <laughs> you know, put a giant 12 gauge slug hole through a deer's head. But uh, yeah, you know, guy came over and it was actually the guy who put the crater in the ground up in Wisconsin. He tagged the deer and uh, so. You know, we didn't get in any trouble uh, unlawfully killing a deer or anything. And the guy that shot, he actually wasn't the guy that shot. Come to find out, there was a gentleman between the two of us. And he walked off and ran into this other guy to take the deer. And he's like, yeah, I took a shot at it, but I didn't hit anything. But he also didn't walk over to see if he did hit it. Because there was a blood trail all the way to probably exactly where he hit it. Right. Um, that we followed, we drug the deer out. So kind of upset with that gentleman. But that was kind of the, that was the start of... That was the start of my deer hunting. So did you have any mentor or anybody kind of guide you along the way? You mentioned your dad was yeah. maybe a bird hunter, but not necessarily into the yeah. whitetails. Not a, yeah, not not necessarily into the whitetails for sure. Um, had a buddy, uh, J.R. Keller, um, close buddy of mine. Um, he's the one that kind of got me started into it. But I mean, really, all we knew is, okay, there's deer down there by that river. We're going to set up. We'll see one. <laughs> there was no strategy other than, okay, find a trail, sit on it, and eventually maybe we'll see something. Uh, right. Had no strategy, and then just slowly learned along the way that, okay, hey, there's more deer taking this trail than that trail. And why are all the little ones out in the field when it's still daylight? But if we sit closer, you know, a little bit deeper in the thick stuff, near, closer to the river, all of a sudden we're seeing smaller bucks and some spots. So, you know, it was really just trial and error and years and years of mistakes. How old were you at that time? You know, I, I, I wrote this down. I, it was either 1987 or 88. So I was uh, 13 or 14 at the time. Okay. Um, when the first time I deer hunted. And after that, I, I think I had a year, year or two, I didn't get anything. And then, uh, then oh, I can't remember what year it was. I know it was early high school. All of a sudden, I got a buck, and nothing big, but you know everybody's like, "Oh my God, you shot an eight pointer!" Um, if you looked at the eight pointer, it was a year and a half old, and I probably could have put a grapefruit in its rack. In its rack, yeah. But you know, I got you know you, nowadays if you shot something like that, oh my gosh, I would be tarred and feathered and lit on fire by people. But then. Oh my gosh, I was like raised up on shoulders and people cheering, like, yeah, oh my God, that's awesome. Great, great eight pointer, great eight pointer. <laughs> and yeah. And I mean, it really makes me think of, I don't know if you listen to any of the Midwest Whitetail podcast, uh, Aaron Warburton. He just had one a couple weeks ago with, about the death of buck, uh, hunting, deer hunting. Yeah. And or the future and the death. And it was really similar to the discussion on there where just a lot of bashing now and, you know, I try to be humble about my hunting and not really go around saying, oh, yeah, I got this. I'm, you know, putting it on every single social media page right off the bat. 
Um, I just try to be a little bit more humble about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. then, so then, <clears throat> you know, as you were learning how to hunt, you know, it was in high school. You said you got your first buck. When did you feel, cause you mentioned you were, you know, you were in the timber as much as humanly possible as a kid. Was there a time that it went into overdrive and you became obsessed with it or has it always just been oh, kind of hey, I, I love to hunt, but you know, it's, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste my vacation day on it. Or is this, or is hunting for you like a, like I'm obsessed, I'm hardcore like that. Uh, definitely now. Um, yeah. Uh, my wife would uh, definitely agree with that. And, uh, but, uh, gosh, I, I would say after that buck, my life really took, um, a turn, um, got into cars. And then there was these other things called girls and <laughs> got a little distracted with those things. And, um, and then I was always working. I mean, I, I did a lot of working right. and so my time was, okay, I really got excited for gun season, but I hadn't shot a bow. I, I didn't think I could get a deer close enough truthfully to me to do that. And right. I didn't have the time and with all the, and I shouldn't say all the activity, but you know, working, going to school, usually playing baseball. And I was in a little band, played some drums. So, I mean, there was other priorities. And then there was that, that those girls thing, like I had to chase, you know, yeah. but, um, yeah, it was probably, oh, got on some better property. Actually the property where, again, the guy, Wanted to check his safety. Uh, that property started hunting it again when I became a Wisconsin resident. So, uh, ooh, 99. Okay. Yeah. Got married in 99. And I'm like, you know what? I can get a, I get a resident hunting license. I'm going to go hunt out on that property. I still want me. Yeah. I asked him, I'm like, oh, of course. And go out there and didn't know what to expect for how many people out there. Really didn't know where to set up other than, Okay, I'm going to sit on this field edge, um, going down a hillside. A lot of strip farming in this area, hilly area, similar to a lot of southern uh, part of parts of Iowa that I've seen. And um, so I was in the field edge. The bottoms there were all valleys of uh, uh, timber, and then usually some I don't know CRP-ish right. old pasture ground through the valley, and then up the hillside all the way to the top with a the crop field so i'm like i'm going to get down there i'll be shooting level then into the crop field where i'm expecting to see deer and there was no scouting involved i knew where there was an old tree stand that eh, it might hold my weight it was made of wood from many years before and eh, it might hold my weight opening day drive my wife's cavalier out there and uh get in the tree and man every single deer not every single deer but every single buck i was seeing we're walking in the timber, probably 50, 75 yards in the timber from the crop fields. And I couldn't get a shot on most of them. Well, finally, I was able to get one, and, you know, it was nothing. It was like a year-and-a-half-old five-pointer. I was so stoked. And, and that was with a bow. I get that over. No, 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 I'm sorry. That was gun season. Okay. Um, Wisconsin 99th season, and uh, I was stoked. I was so excited got something with a rifle never used a rifle in my life because Illinois shotgun and uh cool cool and it was my grandpa's gun so I had a lot of memories 
And I get back to the farmer's house and I'm showing them. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. And not too excited. And I've known these people my whole life. Well, the next thing you know, there were a bunch of other people. on. They, uh, these farmers had 110 acres on one side of this dirt road, 110 acres on the other side, kind of at a, a diagonal, I would say, is how the properties were set up, squares. And uh, all of a sudden, the truck comes in. They got a beautiful eight-pointer. Another truck comes in. They got a 10-pointer. Another truck comes in. They got a six-pointer. And I'm thinking, these are neighbors. And they're like, no, no, we got it back there. We saw you drive your Cavalier out. You didn't see us? And I'm like, hell no. I, I wasn't paying attention, apparently. And uh, so I learned a lesson. Then, okay, I got to be a little bit more patient than shooting the first deer I see. Gotcha. And, uh, but it was right around then where I started getting more excited. And then Wisconsin went into the, some what they called T-zone seasons, where it was antlerless only. And I was right on top of some just gigantic, some of the largest bucks I've seen to date. Yeah. And they're right under me. But I am gun hunting a doe season. Um, so all I could do is watch him. It sucked. <laughs> it really sucked. And uh, it was around that time where, yeah, it was the next year, 2000. I, I, I had a, before that, I had a bear, white tail. Did it, was it bear that made the white tail hunter? White tail pro or? Yeah, I'm not 100% I know, some, sure. Yeah, it was an older bow, and I shot a couple times. I hated it. Uh, my accuracy was about a pizza plate at 10 yards. So it wasn't very good. And I bought, I'm like, oh, I went to Bass Pro Shop and bought this TSE bow and started getting better at it. And, but I, I just couldn't get on them. I could not get on deer and I could not kill a, a deer with that bow. And uh, during that time, we were work, I was doing a lot of work and became a supervisor of a department. And so time was also limited. So I kind of defaulted back to gun hunting and mostly. And did a little bow hunting, maybe one weekend a year, literally. That's it. So the drive wasn't quite quite there. Um, finally, in 2003, I'm on that same property, and I had done a ton of scouting. I I really dug in deep, and I'm like, I'm going to look at a lot of stuff. And um, for some reason, I had an interest to in getting out there early, early like uh, late winter, early spring, and got out there, and I found all kinds of trails and intersections and rubs and scrapes. And I'm like, okay, I think this is right. And who knows? And I first day, first morning, I get a, oh gosh, I can't remember this. I don't know, 125 eight pointer. And I had my father with me, which was a pretty cool experience. And he got to hunt the property. It was 2003. Um, he got to hunt the property for free because the year before they discovered whatever uh, CWD in that area. Right. So they were just given, they were just given license away. And so that day, um, I shoot that and he hadn't seen the deer yet. And we heard another shot between us and we knew the guy that was out there and go over and talk to him. He's got a 10 pointer, but it's like kind of like the little basket rack 10 pointer. I don't know if it would have gone a hundred, 105 inches. And dad's like, Oh wow, nice buck, nice buck. And I congratulate the guy too. And, and we're walking away, I elbow my dad, and I'm like, God, that thing's tiny. You should see my buck. <laughs> and one, you know, once I got that, and I was like, okay, I'm not messing around with younger deer anymore. Um, I'm going to try to shoot something older, and it doesn't have to have a big rack. That, that drove me for a while, but anymore, it's like, nah, it doesn't have to have a big rack. It could just hopefully be an older deer. Um, and I wasn't good at aging deer then. I had no clue. 
but uh, I've definitely worked on that through the years. And I'm sure I'm probably still wrong 50, 80% of the time. But uh, I try. And one of these days I'll even send some uh, some uh, teeth in to get uh, aged to right. verify that I'm incorrect. So in somewhere around, <laughs> you know, you said 2000, early 2000s, you started making that decision to start hunting mature deer and not necessarily mm-hmm. the first deer that you you saw by what were what were some additional reasons for that change in your hunting approach um and the first thought was probably wow that's a lot more meat um on that deer than the year and a half old that i had shot before or the you know the year and a half old fawn that I shot before and, you know, stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, it's more meat. A lot of it was meat driven at the time, but of course the rack was pretty cool. Take that to work. And I mean, now I look at it and go, okay, well, that's not a huge rack, but man, people at work just, I mean, they were like, wow, where'd you get that monster? Where'd you get that monster at? Because a lot of these guys were in Northern Wisconsin and they were going years without seeing a deer while out in the woods. And I never I never understood that. So it was around that year, 2003, actually with that buck, that was the last time we were allowed to hunt that property. They ended up selling it, um, the 110 acres on the opposite side of the road as their farm. And um, then we were going to be able to hunt still the farm side, 110 acres, which still had some freaking monsters on it. And, I want to say it was over the summer of 04, get a call from the landowner. Like, I really apologize, but we have an offer we can't pass. We have somebody that's going to completely redo all our fencing and chop all the wood for us and everything. And as long as they can pasture their cows, but we have to give them hunting rights, exclusive hunting rights. And, you know, these farmers were not a wealthy farmers. They were, they were not rich at all. So, I mean, just going and getting some firewood, um, doing their fence, man, got them that. So I, well, I learned a lesson there. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I need to help out a little bit more on the farm. But so lost that property, and it was around that time I was starting to get excited about bow hunting. But then after that, still living in Wisconsin, I didn't have anywhere to go unless it was public land and still had the job, busy as can be. Wife and I were trying to have kids, so I knew – now I know that, wow, that was a, definitely a, a big, I want to say a roadblock, speed bump, a speed bump, having children. Love yeah. my children, love my children, but it slows you down a little bit. But uh, 2004, I started hunting northern Wisconsin, so I'm like, there's got to be deer up there. I see some big bucks up there. There's got to be. And they were right. <laughs> uh, at least where I was hunting with a group of guys, um, Four of us the first year, we hunted Saturday through Tuesday, four straight days, sun up to sundown. Out of the four of us, there was exactly zero deer seen. Um, I was hunting their style, which was to sit in their old uh, made blinds of wood sticks put together up on the edge of sides of ridges, and you just hope a deer comes by. I got to see a guy on a horse many times with blaze orange all over him, but I never saw a deer. Um, for two straight years, that happened. Yeah. And uh, one straight year. I'm sorry, that was only one year. The next year, I went up to somewhere else, and um, 
another public property and did really well with the bow. Oh, I'm sorry, the gun. But then I'm like, oh, I got to get a northern Wisconsin deer. Got to. And went back up there and went then the next two years, exact same thing. And finally, that second year, I'm like, you know what, Jimmy, I'm sorry. Uh, owner of the cabin, great dude. Um, and I'm like, I got, I can't just sit here. I got to, I got to look for, I got to do something on my own. And like, oh, okay. Okay. Well, don't go too far away. And well, I got GPS. I think it'll be cool. <laughs> and moved around. And then I started getting into deer and I started hunting middays. Whereas these guys, they would go out to their trucks and have lunch, take a nap. And then they go out, you know, back out for a little while later. Well, they started going into the Packer games on Sundays and, I just started telling them, like, you know what, I'm going to drive myself out there in the woods. I'll stay out there. I'd rather sit out there hunting and watch the Packers. I love the Packers, but nah, go for it, man. And the first time I did that, there was a group of six deer that went by. Um, about an hour later, there was a group of four deer that went by. Not a single buck in these, but all of a sudden, I had hunted two, three years, two years, and this is going into the third year, fourth year. I don't know. I'm lost on the years now. All of a sudden, there's 10 deer in the point of like an hour, hour and a half. Whoa, I think I'm doing something right here. So, yeah, still never got a deer in northern Wisconsin, but uh, it's kind of find out a little bit that, hey, deer actually move during the day. So, I mean, that's how most of my hunting's come about. It's just trial and error and figuring a lot of stuff out on my own and then kind of just getting into... Um, there was a DVD I watched. I can't remember what year it is, Dan, but it was it was a Blood Brothers production. It was Hill Country, and I'm like watching that. I'm like, okay, this is the property I'm hunting, and up there, and very similar. I didn't like. Uh, I, I got annoyed by one of the people in it, and whatever. And it was a couple years later, and I can't say that really helped me up there in the big woods. Um, because I stopped hunting up there. <laughs> but um, I got into the hunting beast, and I was already understanding that, hey, okay, beds are here, food is here, you can hunt a transition or try to get closer to the beds if you're not seeing the deer. And I would say getting the seeing the Blood Brothers stuff that they were doing and then the hunting beast, that really, like, flicked a light switch and put helped me put a lot together those questions that I just I couldn't answer on my own. That helped a lot. And some great guys, not just that site, I, I'll say there were some other areas that I came across that were helpful too. But those were the two major areas, two major things. Gotcha. So <clears throat> what year did you start to pick up the bow? I mean, summer... Sure and and really start digging in on you know not necessarily just going in for gun season sitting waiting mm-hmm. move, you know and then you know yeah it, it hasn't been that long um moved back to illinois in 2006 i did not bow hunt that year i do know that um 2009 i'm sorry 2007 did a little bit but it was more of the Going out, sitting with my buddies, uh, he has uh, kind of like a 10-acre marshy area in amongst hundreds, thousands of acres of crops. Um, while the crops are up, you can see some deer. Once the crops are out, you will not see a deer around there until the next year. Um, so I would go out there not knowing that. It took years to figure that out. 
and there was one stand out there. Um, I was not mobile yet, so I was just hunting somebody else's stand, just sitting in it. I'd see a deer every now and then, but it wasn't close enough. And then, then so 2008, I know I did release a, an arrow, and I shot completely over the back on another uh, the same riverfront property I talked about earlier, um, shotgun hunting had dwindled down to, at that point, probably about 30 acres that we could hunt. Um, nowadays, actually, um, I have access to only three acres along there. It's just a narrow strip that runs perpendicular to the river. Um, it's kind of a bugger to hunt because the one landowner will not allow you to retrieve anything on the property. So you've got to hope and pray that it runs the other way or runs across the river. <laughs> which has actually happened every time. But um, I started hunting down there, and I really I shot right over a deer. Um, didn't have a rangefinder. I guessed it was 20 yards, and it was, I'm sorry, I guessed it at 30 yards. I put my 30-yard pin on it, shot right over her back, walked out there later, 20 yards. Son of a gun. So went that day and bought a rangefinder, found that that's a really good tool to have for bow hunting. And, uh, yeah, 2009, I went, uh, got access to some different property up in Wisconsin. I uh, talked to my neighbor. I was telling you one of them that shoots here. We started getting together and talking more and more about hunting. And cause he was doing his own thing. I was doing my own thing. And I, I'm didn't try to sound like a talking to you, but I'm kind of an introvert. So we didn't really discuss it that much. We just knew each other shot and I knew he hunted somewhere in Illinois and he knew I hunted somewhere in Wisconsin. So we got together and I invited him up hunting with me on this new track of property I got. And in Wisconsin. Um, in Wisconsin, yep, in Wisconsin. So here we are, non residents, spend a ton of money to go to Wisconsin. Not a ton, it's actually one of the cheaper non resident states, but um we went up there and hold up. Were you still yeah. were you still hunting because you were in Wisconsin, then you moved back. By now I Yep. You moved back to Illinois. Now and you were continually, you were still going to Wisconsin every year as a non-resident now, but were you still hunting? Yeah. Um, were you still hunting uh, Illinois as well throughout the year? Um, you know what? A little bit of bow hunting, and I was not even shotgun hunting because I was um, gun hunting Wisconsin. Um, yeah. I will. I was not doing very much hunting in Illinois. Um, very little. Dad was. Dad would go out. I will say that he will. He would go out, but it was pretty much the same thing. He'd sit in the exact same spot and see the same deer out in the distance. And but uh, no, I I had found this other property. It was actually a relative's property that gave us permission and two hundred twenty acres. And in what state? Phenomenal property. It was in Southwest Wisconsin. Okay. And so I, I told the neighbor about this. I'm like, man, you know, 220 acres is more than I can hunt. Um, they already said I can bring somebody with me, and I prefer to have at least another guy help me drag a deer out of there if I do get something because it's very hilly uh, territory out there. So we agreed, and we went out there. Um, didn't get anything with the bows. Uh, he had a couple opportunities on 120s, and I got to see a lot of deer's butts running away. Um wasn't too concerned about, 
I, I think I was still learning at that time, even though it was only less than 10 years ago. A lot of it was where I was setting up, wind direction, um, thermals, a lot of that. And I, I watched that Blood Brothers stuff, but you know what? I really didn't pay much attention, apparently, until I started incorporating it more and understanding the winds and the thermals. And once I started doing that, wow, things started coming together um, pretty quickly, actually. And so, but I was still missing deer, like completely missing deer with my bow. And I finally had it up with that. And I'm like, I'm upgrading. I'm getting something different. And he had this, uh, what was it? A switchback, a Matthew switchback, this neighbor of mine, Roger down the street. And, um, I liked it. Um, buddy then bought one. So I shot his and the only thing I could find that I was not good with this thing after 30 yards, but up to 30 yards, I was deadly with it. So I was going to buy it. And I went and checked out some other bows and I, I ran across this, uh, dealer in a town near me and he sold these bows bows called elite i had never heard of elite in my life read into him about it. i'm like oh okay so the guy who was like the engineer or whatever with bowtech started this company and oh okay so bought a gt500 loved it went out and that was 2010 and went to that property up there in wisconsin at opening night and i got a a, a little buck and that was what my I was going to do. I I had no set limits on the first year with a bow. I just wanted to get one under the belt because it had been a little struggle through the years. I got that one, and then well, that year I shot three bucks, and they just got a little bigger because then, <clears throat> excuse me, the year before, like I said, uh, neighbor Roger and I, we hunted Wisconsin on my property for 2010. He invited me to some public property he had been hunting, but, you know, he kind of keeps it quiet. He doesn't really tell anybody where he hunts. He just says public property. He told me where it was, so I started researching it, looking at maps and everything, and got down there, and first night we're there, he shoots a 13-pointer. And I'm like, wow, this is all, and there's bucks running everywhere. I mean, the full, it was the best chasing of the rut I've seen in my, well, almost the best of my life. Um, and uh, two days later, I shoot a, eh, I don't want to decide on it, but pro- probably game close to 130-inch nine-pointer. And I'm like, holy cow, now I got it. This is great. And it, the deer came in exactly how I wanted it to. And I'm like, this is not right. Something I got to be doing something wrong for the deer to do what I wanted it to do. Something was wrong because I don't have that kind of luck. And then a day and a half later, um, I shoot a 14 point that uh, scored a lot more. And uh, it was just a phenomenal trip. Three and a half days, three bucks. Um, it, it was intense. And was that um, the first but, mature deer that you'd ever shot with your bow, that 14-pointer? I mean, I'm assuming it was, uh, you said bigger deer. I'm assuming. It was. I thought the 9-pointer was mature, but when we look back at it, and especially looking at the pictures, I'm, I'm fully convinced it was a 2.5-year-old buck. The 14-pointer was definitely a mature buck. Um, never got an aged or anything like that, but you can just see the circumference on the bases, uh, the size of the brute. I mean, I don't have too many deer that I can see, you know, uh, the back end off one side of my vehicle and the antlers off the other side of the vehicle while I'm driving down the road. I have a rack on the back of my truck. Um, that was one of them um, that I could see both sides. And so 
I was pretty happy with that. It was it was probably one of one of my worst drags ever because it ended up down in kind of like one of those creeks or ditches that you have. It seems like all over the state of um, Iowa, where the embankment is like over my head down to the water. Yeah, trying to get that thing out was not fun, but yeah. we did it. Yeah. All right. So these days, where do you spend? a majority of your time hunting and these days are you still behind you know the shotgun or the rifle and doing a um and bow hunting as well or do you still kind of lean towards bow hunting or or gun hunting um after that i definitely got into bow hunting a lot more and what um, year was that totally obsessed that was 2010 okay got totally obsessed after that so it hasn't been in that many years based on my age and stuff um i do still gun hunt uh, i haven't picked up the rifle in a number of years now and actually the last two years i hunted wisconsin i carried a shotgun um i have a savage 220 bolt action and i am totally in love with that gun um just love it and so i do a little bit of gun hunting but really now it's just bonding time with my father he still loves to go out 73, 74 years old. Um, now he loves it because I've gotten, he's gotten him into it a little bit more. I actually have two of those guns. One hopefully will be my son or my daughters when they get a little older or want to ever join me. Um, but for the meantime, dad's using that other bolt action 20 gauge and he's doing pretty dang good with it. I can't complain. He's doing pretty dang good with it. But, so uh, in 2010, yeah. In 2010 is when you, it sounds to me like that's the year you started getting very serious about bow hunting. Is that accurate? Definitely. Yes. Okay. 2010. All, right. All right. So in 2010, what were some of the things that you changed up from what you were doing previously bow hunting to making the change and becoming serious about it? Specifically, uh, you know, I think it actually, I think it'll go back to the year before where I did um, scouting, um, early season scouting where there's no um, foliage on the trees, on the brush. You can really see the old sign from the previous fall and give you a kind of an idea of where, okay, okay, I know there was a good mature buck around here because uh, little bucks don't really do rubs on trees that big. Um, you know, I, I'm just starting to pick up on some of that. And that turned into the next year where I started really getting more into more into top- topography and terrain and just studying maps obsessively and then got introduced to this thing called Google Earth somewhere along the line. And, um, yeah, that's kind of been my addiction now is getting stuck looking at those at midnight. But um, it was around, around that time, and a lot of it was cyber scouting just because of the nature of my job at the time, I didn't really have the amount of time to get away. My job was almost a seven-day job that I had to be in the area. So I couldn't get away two and a half hours to go scout the property in southwest Wisconsin. Um, the properties are, I can hunt around here now, you can scout them pretty quick. They're pretty darn small. Um, I do hunt some private. You're asking about what is my kind of like breakdown of what do I hunt now? Um, in the county where I live here in McKenna County, I do have uh, a few, I guess I have four properties I can hunt. One is still that 10-acre marshy area, uh, my buddies. Um, I've seen one of the largest bucks of my life there 
guaranteed over 180 inches. Um, I followed him, chased him for three years. Um, three of those years where I did not really know anything. Um, and so I busted my chances more than I was successful. But I, my best chance was when he was three and a half years old and he was not that big. Um, when he got to five years old, he was um, estimating around 180, 175 to 180, and he had only one eye he had lost, his right eye. Could knock it on that buck, and next thing I know, he got poached. Um, so that was kind of a sadness, and I didn't believe it was him until I was uh, shown pictures by uh, a, an acquaintance who is a conservation officer here in the county. And, yeah, he verified that that was the same buck. <laughs> but uh, I have a three, I still have that three acres along the river bottom. Um, that area is starting to get really good. Um, it, where I live here is also CWD area. Um, and there's been a lot of sharpshooting since about 2002, 2003, where they were just doing uh, the DNR was putting out bait piles and sh- sitting out there with rifles at night, um, shooting deer off the bait and just in the name of CWD, getting them out of here, testing them and getting them out of here. So our numbers around here really dwindled and uh, truthfully, and I think that's the reason now that I think about it, that's probably the reason I really was looking other places to hunt because the ground around here was just com- almost completely devoid of deer. It was pretty crazy. Um, 2010, 2011, I want to say it was, um, along that river bottom, we never even saw a deer track the entire season um, in mud, in snow, nothing. And now they're starting to come back. Um, got... Uh, further down that river, last year I just got access to 30 acres. Um, unfortunately, everybody and their son and their nephew and their daughters and their sisters have access to there too. Um, so I get more. I get some pictures of some nice bucks, but I get a lot of pictures of other people too. And, and then there's plenty. There's right? a nope, nope. These are these are all all the private I hunt now is in actually okay. everything I hunt now is in Illinois. Um, that other property I was telling you about in southwest Wisconsin, I was hunting with Roger, 220 acres. That ended up, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we ended up not being able to hunt that anymore in uh, 2013. And uh, actually the last day Roger and I hunted that property, he shot a buck and I shot a buck. And that was my second buck to test the positive for CWD. But uh, October 26, 2013 was the last day we hunted up there, and that's the last time I hunted in Wisconsin. Since then, I've been doing uh, those four private acreages. Um, the other one is a third, uh, I'm sorry, a 10-acre estate surrounded by other houses. I did it one time. I don't know if I'll ever go back because it's kind of weird sitting in a tree and you're watching kids jump on the trampoline. All right. Um, Hang on a second. Slow down. Yeah, I'm jumping all over, Dan. I'm sorry, man. I want I want to talk about this CWZ, uh, CWD zone that you hunted in because you said that you shot a couple of deer that tested positive for CWD, correct? Correct. Okay, so what year was that 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 CWD broke out? And then was it a rule that you know once the CWD uh, outbreak happened that all hunters had to go in and and check check deer um you know what i don't think it's ever been mandatory in wisconsin there was a big um fright 
that happened when that happened. Right. I want to say that was 2002, 2000, 2002, I want to say, is when there was just a big fear. And um, my my hunting acquaintance at the time, actually, that would ride out from Milwaukee with me, he gave up. He just, and actually, as soon as he heard that there was CWD, he's in, I want to say that was January or February where they announced it here. He threw away all of his venison from the fall prior of a huge doe he got out there. Yeah. But, uh, so that was around that time, and there was just a lot of fear. So most people were actually just dropping off their deer at the check-in station and dumping them. Right. And and then Wisconsin went to this earn-a-buck thing because there yep. was so many deer out in this area where you had to earn a buck. And, and there was a lot of stuff going on with that where there were stories of people registering the same roadkill doe five times just to get their buck tags and stuff like that. I don't know if it ever happened. Tried to do it legitimately myself, and um, so this that was some of my struggles too. So yeah, this earn a buck that was that to control population or to it, it uh, help really fight was. CWD. It, you know what? I don't know what happened around that time. My thought was it was to help CWD, but I look back at it now. It's definitely population control. They were trying to get as me- rid of many deer as possible. And there was a lot of resistance to the sharpshooters in Wisconsin, much more than here in northern Illinois. And so they were just trying to shoot as many as possible. But, you know, most of the people I actually knew hunting up there, they hunted just exactly the same. And a lot of the locals, they wouldn't even, um, they wouldn't even get turned their deer in to get tested. They would register it, but they didn't want to get tested. They didn't really want to know. And they didn't want the state to know or the DNR of the state to know that, okay, there was a pot CWD positive deer shot on my property. Now we're going to circle this area. This is a hot zone. We're going to kill everything in the area. Right. And right. so there was a lot of that going on, but I loved the, I loved the earn a buck within a couple of years. There was that age class of deer just really grew. And those bucks were enormous. There was some just enormous bucks. I was running across that. Uh, a lot of the other hunters in the state were really complaining that how bad earn a buck was, but I liked it just to see the bigger bucks. Right. So going um, back to but, the CWD uh, zone, yeah. you you killed two. You said two deer, right? Was it two? Uh, I've actually gotten three now. Okay, three deer um, that had mm-hmm. tested positive for CWD, and yep. it, because it wasn't mandatory, did you? After you shot deer, you knew that you were hunting in a CWD positive area. So you decided to, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna still go hunt, but I'm gonna have these these deer tested after the fact. Correct. Okay. Correct. I have a rather paranoid wife. I love her dearly, but she's rather paranoid, and I guess that's a good thing at times. So I did get every single deer tested, and 2009 here in Illinois. Um, that river bottom at that time, there was about uh, 30 acres we could hunt. And um, I got a, 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 and all three CWD bucks I got probably would go around 130. That was a 10 pointer. And chasing two does, running hard as can be. Got him. Um, every, so, what was you know, that process nobody thought like? This possible. Uh, which process? The process of going in and, cl- you know, like, I shot a deer. I'm going to go get them tested. What what took place oh, after okay. you know after you shot that deer? You're like, well, I'm sure. going to go get them tested. 
Well, we still had uh, regular check-in stations at that time. And at the check-in station, there would be DNR, state DNR workers working. And I want to say then they were actually taken out. Actually, I think they were taking the head then. So they'd cut the whole head off and take the head. Gotcha. Um, then they uh, they got a little bit better. I, I wouldn't say better, but they improved it to where they were only taking the lymph nodes out of the neck. So instead of driving down the road with a, a headless deer, um, driven blood out of its neck stump. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you got you know, just a little slit in its neck. Not a big deal. But the tests were pretty quick. Um, the first one I ever got, like back in the first year, 2002, 2003, that first year, it took until March for me to get the results. And I shot it in October. Okay. So that was that was not cool. That was pretty disappointing. But nowadays, it's down to probably about it depends on the season. If it's before the first shotgun season, you're going to get your results in two weeks. Right. If it's a shotgun deer or after, you're probably looking at more like four to five weeks to get your results. Okay. And so, what year was there's that? There's a lot of people that don't do it. What year um, was that that you shot your last CWD positive deer? Um, two years ago. Okay, two years ago. Mm-hmm. 2015. Yep. Okay. 2015. So when you shot that deer, let's say the first one, right? And then you Mm -hmm. shoot one more and then you shoot one more. Were you hesitant to turn it in thinking that, oh my God, they're going to bring sharpshooters (laughs) in here, destroy the population, and I'm not going to be able to hunt anymore? Well, the first one, I guess no. The first one, no, because we had. I had access to 30 acres, had no access to the surrounding properties. Um, the one, like I said, the one neighbor is not the nicest. He doesn't allow anybody on there, let alone sharpshooters. Um, never saw anything set up there. So I guess I wasn't. Um, the biggest thing I was concerned about was 2009 with that buck was here I have, oh, I think it was 85 pounds of meat, solid meat, um, all in the freezer. I do my own butchering. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we're going to come get that meat and incinerate it for you. Um, that really bothered me more than anything, right. more than the fact that, oh, I got a CWD deer. It was more like, dang, that's 85 pounds worth of meat. I mean, it was some really good meat. <laughs> yeah. So, but since then, that's kind of what I've done. Um, the last two, actually, I have some friends that have been like uh, backstraps. You, you don't throw those away. Yeah. Um, you give them to me and now the DNR straight up tells me, they're like, you know what, there's, you can keep it if you want, you can keep and eat it. This is just an option that we're giving you to get rid of it. Right. Um, so you're so, not just throwing it in the garbage. Okay. So then what steps took place after a CWD, uh, you know, deer gets registered, they find out that it's CWD. Obviously they want to know where it was harvested at what steps do they take after after that i mean is there any follow-up on that property by the authorities or is it just for records you know what i'm not sure um in illinois it was more of okay what quadrant of the map did you suit this and so you have multiple landowners in that quadrant and you just put a tack on the map and saying okay this is where i got the deer and regard, you know, when you when you do register it, um, 
Wisconsin was a little bit different where they were actually having you put the pin on the map of the actual landowner and approximate area of where you shot the deer on the map. Um, So a little bit different, but then you, you could go on and search based on your customer number. You could go on their website and search to see if the results are available. Um, now, and uh, initially, it was just a postcard. I don't think there was a query system to look up to see if you could find it. But not, And it was a postcard you received, and that, like I said, that was March, the first couple of years. Then it got a little better. They got it down. But um, now it's either an email, and I think I still get a postcard too, but it's definitely like an email. or And like I said, I'm searching to... Uh, a couple times a week just to see, okay, have they gotten this tested yet? Is it positive? Is it negative? Especially after getting a couple positives through the years. Um, and it's amazing. Um, the ones that have been positive have all been mature bucks. I mean, and depending on what you define as mature, uh, my maturity level is three and a half year old and above. Um, all three of them, I'm pretty confident we're three and a half years old. Gotcha. And all three of them were chasing does at the time. Right. So, so, and actually, <laughs> it was dormant in their system. I mean, well, it wasn't affecting them physically at the time that you killed them, right? I saw no evidence of it. Um, they acted like normal deer to me. Um, the bodies were normal. Um, I saw videos and pictures of deer that were affected with CBWD in the later stages of the disease. Yeah. And they didn't look good at all. I mean, they they look like they're crack fiends or mess heads or something, you know, like yeah. crackheads. Yeah. Um, just looked lost out of their brains and skinny as hell. Gotcha. So, yeah, I, I never, one deer, we got one deer on camera off uh, this property that 220 acres in southwest Wisconsin that did not look good at all. But after further review, seeing some other footage, it looked like she had been shot and was just kind of recovering from those gunshot wounds. Right. Gotcha. So. All right. So we've kind of covered a lot of different things today, but uh, what, you know, are you, what do you got going on this year? Any, anything exciting? I know um, in an email, <laughs> you mentioned that you're trying to get into Iowa, but you, uh, you did not draw an Iowa tag this year. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was really optimistic about that. I had three points going in. Neighbor had four. Um, another guy who was going to join us, he had three also. Um, he didn't want to do it as a group. Um, the neighbor of mine, he's like, let's do it as a group because he wasn't going to go if I didn't go. And so we did this as a group, and it goes by, I believe, the person who has the lowest amount of points for the lottery. So it's me. Um, I didn't draw, which means my neighbor with four points didn't draw. And, but my buddy with three points also like me, he did draw. So he'll be hunting by himself, but that's his gig. He's a DIY out West hunter. Yeah. He doesn't really mind, but, uh, did six, yeah, six days of on foot scouting out there in, uh, Iowa and really got to check out some public properties. Didn't knock on any doors during that trip. Um, I kind of wanted to see what was available and let that possibly come if I do run across the landowner eventually. Um, so I was really hopeful. Had tons of marks, GPS marks, all ready to rock and roll. 
pretty high expectations and then to not get it. But eh, it is what it is. Um, right. Next year, I'm hoping I'm guaranteed and I will be uh, giving the great state of Iowa a uh, lump of money to go oh. chase the deer. And we'll take it. We need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, Mike, uh, I really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast and uh, talking with us today. No problem, Dan. Thank you very much. Another podcast in the dirt. Huge shout out to Mike for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to do that. Thank you to all of you who take time out to listen to this podcast. Really appreciate it. Be sure to keep an eye out for more podcasts to come, uh, not only from the Nine Finger Chronicles, but also from Deer Lab, not Deer Lab, I'm an idiot, from Land and Legacy Podcast. Um, Those guys are covering hunting, habitat improvement, conservation, all the stuff that I don't cover on this podcast. Uh, Be sure to check it out. Very educational. you're, and it's not just for people who own property and own land. So please be sure to give the Land and Legacy podcast a like as well and a listen. Other than that, huge shout out to each and every partner of the podcast, Exodus Trail Cameras. Guys, take advantage of that discount code, Nine Fingers. Uh, Ozonics, Gearhead, Wasp Archery, Exodus Trail Cameras, Ripcord, Arrow Rest, Deer Lab, Bighorn Outfitters, and if uh, kind of reminds me, Bighorn Outfitters, um, there's a potential that there could be some last-minute cancellations for this season. So if you want to get in uh, a late, a late uh, Western trip, be sure to get a hold of Dustin and crew from Bighorn Outfitters. Also, a uh, huge shout out to Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Also, you know, take care of that, uh, take advantage of that discount as well. Guys, hunting season's almost here. Be sure you guys are stacking up those brownie points with the uh, wife or girlfriend or whatever. Uh, uh, And check me out on Instagram. Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook. A lot of content going through all my social media. Go sign up to become a member of the National Deer Alliance. Hell, sign up to be a member of QDMA as well. Other than that, keep an eye out for more to come from the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast feed. There's going to be some more awesomeness coming down the pipe. That's all I can say. It's a mysterious secret. So, wear your... I better do it right. If you're going to be in a tree, remember to wear your damn... Safety harness. Have a good week. Rest of the week. Rest of the week. Adios, dudes.